Welcome to a beautiful thought. So, how are you doing? Good morning. To be honest, I'm not feeling great. Uh, I woke up, I had this nightmare where I was like traveling on a bus, somehow lost track of my possessions. And for some reason I had all of my important earthly possessions in one small blue bag carried about two liters and when I left the bus I realized I didn't have the bag anymore I was lost no phones no computer woke up quite disturbed from the whole experience wondering who had stolen from me I got this interview for you that I did yesterday with my friend Flo Perlin. And you'll hear in this interview a couple of times, Flo says, I had to breathe through that. I like that expression. When I woke up this morning, that's uh, that's exactly what I had to do. <laughs> Thinking about the things that were on my mind that manifest themselves in this nightmare. I breathed through them. And that was good. That was enough. So <laughs> this interview is about how Flo grew up and how she found her voice as a person and as a woman, how she found her confidence, how various forces molded her and how she ended up molding herself. Flo is a musician. I often describe her music as hauntingly beautiful. You can check out her music on Bandcamp at Spotify and other places. She also has a crowdfunding program for her new album so she can cover the costs involved. Let's begin. I'm here with my friend Flo Perlin, musician and <laughs> cellist, guitarist, singer, songwriter. How are you, Flo? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I promise that, that is the way I wanted to start the podcast. And yeah. that's actually how I'm feeling as well. It kind of represents my emotional landscape at the moment. Okay. It's yeah. very expressive point of view. yeah i don't really feel like articulating in words so i just thought i'd make a sound okay so you're gonna do the whole interview this way no i just think that question <laughs> of like how are you is probably quite a broad question so why not answer it in any way i want <laughs> that's great that's a thank you for your expressiveness you're welcome <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> You're ruining your own podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. It's all part of the process. Just uh, have a little faith in the process. Exactly. All right. So you, you'd like to talk about finding your voice as a woman. Yeah. I mean, it. it it's definitely also like finding my voice as an individual human, but I think I say as a woman because that's been my experience and yeah. Mm. Awesome. All right. So where does the story begin or where, where was the point where you, you started to have doubts about your identity or something like that? Um, so I grew up in a family of three girls. So it was me and my two sisters. Um, and um, then there was my parents, we had a dog and it was a nice, it's fairly, um, okay upbringing. Um, and then, um, I guess me and my sisters kind of, as we started to get older, like kind of different issues started to come out and my middle sister got quite ill and that kind of had a big, big impact on my family. And we were in family counseling for like five years. Um, so that was when I was like, I started family counseling when I was like 14. Um, and I think that that was probably the point where I personally started to kind of 
really um, question my identity and kind of, um, yeah, I think I was quite young to be um, really analysing it as well. And I think a lot of my other friends weren't in kind of um, serious therapy at the time. So I was at a point where I was like analysing everything, but yet feeling quite like... um, feeling quite how do you call it when you're not part of a group like a lack of belonging I guess Hmm. um because of the fact that that was my experience and it didn't feel as though other people my age were going through that yeah yeah sorry just to just to check you're you're still recording in logic right yeah okay just that's right I'm gonna (laughs) yeah yeah I'm gonna make a remix actually (laughs) <laughs> yeah awesome it's gonna be right. great okay for, for your next album yeah yeah or maybe the one dub. after that <laughs> dub it's all about the dub yeah okay the dub's coming back in a big way yeah so what what was it like uh, what was the difference between you and other young people in, or your peers um I think I became quite uh I became quite quiet from quite a young age. I basically just became the observer, the the person who kind of likes to watch and listen and I think that that is something I've also that's also kind of carried on with me because I was kind of questioning things quite seriously from quite a young age. Um and being the youngest child, I think that there was so much to watch and there was my two sisters who were quite like strongly opinionated and you know there was a lot of characters in my family and um Mm. a lot of my upbringing was quite um chaotic in many ways um so I think that that made me feel different it's not that maybe I was different but maybe in my reality my perception of mm. things was that I felt like I was different to the other peers and the the, the therapy or the counseling did that, did that change that perception or made you withdraw more or how did it affect you I really like that question just because you didn't <laughs> ask me um whether it helped I get that question a lot of therapy like does it help <laughs> and I, I really I find that question really really challenging because I'm just like it's that's not I don't understand um, <laughs> well I would say that it definitely got me to question things a whole lot more and I think my brain just came became a lot more like analytical hmm. I think for my for my family it was immensely helpful for my parents it was like incredibly helpful as a couple Hmm. to find different dynamics that were that were more healthy than the ones that were normalized um that they had like adopted from their parents who were you know my mum's dad was quite abusive and Hmm. yeah I think that for me it was it definitely changed me like yeah it really changed me I don't it's really hard to articulate how it kind of changed me but it definitely got me to kind of think more about the world and challenge the kind of discrimination discrimination uh, yeah against women or against minorities or how do you mean i guess um it made me kind of more aware of the discrimination in the world because of the fact that i was more analytical that's what i mean but i think a lot of other 14 year olds my age were weren't really doing that at that time they they weren't really questioning all of those things. They were kind of sheltered in their little bubble. But I was like, why is the world like this? Why, you know, why aren't um, women equal to men? Why, you know, why do we live in a patriarchal society? Hmm. And I think a lot of that was probably to do with um, watching my mum be in a more kind of submissive position as a woman um, in her relationship with my dad and also watching her mum in that kind of position. And I think that I kind of absorbed that as as though not as like a role model, but the opposite. My mm. kind of deepest fear. Okay, so you saw fear, the flaws in there. My deepest yeah. fear was to become that, was to become wow. this like 
invisible human in a relationship with someone. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that does sound scary. <laughs> yeah. Did your mum change as a result of the counseling? Like, did, did she become yeah. more assertive, for example? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I think, um, for one, my I think my dad became a lot less... He 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 got to. I wouldn't say the word controlling. I don't know if I like to use that, but he hmm. he learned how to manage his stress uh, and his own anxiety, and how to hmm. not like project it as much as it, he was when I was growing up, um, and not be so kind of emotionally like aggressive um, with his words. And then my mum, I think she learned how to kind of find her voice. I think she learned how to kind of, yeah, just um, express her opinions and identify like how she was feeling. Because I think a lot of the time she didn't because she couldn't identify how she was feeling. Yeah. Um, which I totally understand. I think that, yeah, that's something that I go in and out of a lot of the time. Yes. Yeah. I even had, had someone say to me, well, some, sometimes she needs to think for maybe for days to to find out exactly how she's feeling about something yeah yeah and yeah <laughs> but so be it like if you have to think for days why yeah so be it you know like who says that like you have to like figure it out straight away like yeah. what what's wrong with space you know yeah exactly what is wrong with space yeah <laughs> so your mom kind of did become a, a role model for you then in a way I would say in a way that um, her resilience mm. w w was quite inspiring mm. and her inner desire to find out more about herself at the age she was after having three kids and, you know, she was in her like late 40s, 50s and I think like that's quite inspiring. She quit her job as a lawyer, became a yoga teacher. Wow. Um, like her life like drastically changed. Okay, cool. <laughs> what happened after that? Like you, you were you just going through life as a analytical 14-year-old noticing <laughs> injustices. <laughs> I don't, it's hard for me to imagine. Yeah, the this way situation, you put it but... is like <laughs> I sound like this little like crazy 14-year-old. He's just like a, a little super a little Freudian. <laughs> I brought my bed around with me, my couch. Can you lay on this couch okay. for me? Um, how did it go after that? Well, I went through my education having a bit of a tough time just because I'm dyslexic and I found that really difficult and a lot of the teachers didn't really get me and so I was put into this like alternative school and that was great. I had a good time there. And then... What, what kind of alternative school? Oh, you want to know that? Yeah, I'm curious um, about that. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I was in a Quaker school. All ah, right. Okay. I actually didn't know it was a Quaker <laughs> school until two years after I left it. <laughs> My parents okay. just like didn't your, mention that. Uh, your parents uh, are Jewish. They're both Jewish, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. I was raised practicing Judaism. Right. But in a lib okay. in a very liberal way, like. God was never mentioned or anything like that. Ah, okay. But it's like the traditions were there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. kept the traditions and I went to synagogue and I went to Cheda, which is Hebrew school on the weekend. Okay. All right. So your, <laughs> your Quaker uh, classmates never mentioned that. <laughs> it never came up. No, I don't even know if anyone was actually Quaker who was there. And I always oh, wondered, okay. like, why do we have to sit in silence for like, you know 20 minutes every morning and then like I just found it so like I really liked it but then I always wondered why do we have to do this like compared to other schools who weren't doing that and then I only realized after when I started going to Quaker meetings when I was like in my 20s I was like this is really similar to my school <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> It was a really cool school. It was like vegetarian. It was it was just very laid back. Um, cool. They put a lot of emphasis on the creative subjects. Um, mm -hmm. And they also had a lot of patience for me. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think I needed a lot of patience, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people out there who don't really fit into the traditional school system. It's like it's it's not really meant for the majority. It's it's meant for, I don't know, either training factory workers in the 19th century or for certain people who are extremely good at learning through through auditory means yeah absolutely i see it as the um the kind of our society seeing children as like the becoming child rather than the being like Hmm. we're being manufactured in some way in order to have some kind of end goal yeah so you it wasn't like that in the quaker school it It felt very well you are you're a person yeah it was a it was about the individual and i think i was in a in a kind of privileged position to have been able to go there because my parents could afford that school um yeah so that really kind of like nourished me in many ways um and i i became a lot more confident there i started speaking more i was as quiet mm-hmm. yeah i became less um shy i would say okay interesting and how did the the analytical side from the counseling how did that play out when you had this confidence um you mean as in when i was at that school yeah or even afterwards i think i found it fairly difficult going from having um been brought up having nhs therapy sessions which is like you get a certain amount of sessions so it's like 10 sessions and then you have another therapist another 10 sessions and then they change therapists and and so over the course of five years i do i can't even count how many we had oh that's um that's kind of weird and i was having individual therapy alongside the family therapy so yeah i went from that to to the family therapy stopping Hmm. when i got to that school and I think that that was quite a, I didn't realize it was, it was a big deal until I left that school. Um, and I left and I did sick form and that was great. And then I, I went to uni and then it kind of just, everything just, I had a breakdown basically. Okay. Yeah. I had just like emotional breakdown. I like, yeah, I went to Lippa in Liverpool, Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts um, and it's quite a like prestigious um, music university. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a, you have to do like two auditions in order to get in. And then I finally got in and I got there and I just was so unhappy and I couldn't function. And I became quite like paralyzed by my anxiety. And mm. I was just crying all the time and I didn't understand why. And I think that was the first time that I truly ever had like real depression. Like I'd never felt it before that to that extent. Hmm. I'd felt sad at times. Yeah. But like I never had a kind of crippling anxiety that kind of made me feel as though I was just like in this dark tornado with like glass, like piercing me and it would like drag everyone else in. (laughs) 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 but yeah it was like really fucking hard it was so hard (laughs) (laughs) so you were you were going there as a musician as a cellist yeah 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 okay i remember you said to me years ago like this is like that movie whiplash Whiplash, yeah one of the yeah where yeah, I don't, like well, the, I'm not going to name names, but like there was a teacher. sergeants or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to name names, but there was definitely a um, one of the teachers who was like the guy in Whiplash. He would just rip you apart. And um, mm. I remember having like workshops with him and some of the students would end up like leaving the classroom, like crying. Yeah. And I would never see them again. Like I just never saw them. Because they just quit. They just left. Like that guy basically just destroyed their confidence. And I remember one of the, one of the, um, tutors saying to one of the students, you should just give up songwriting because, and you just need to change careers. Like you're just really bad at what you do. (laughs) And like, 
I was just thinking, like, who the fuck are you to tell anyone that? Like, who who are you? (laughs) Like, God? Who are you? Like, what kind of fucking narcissist are you, you know, in order to, like, actually, like, ruin, like, an 18-year-old's kind of confidence in that way? Like, yes. I don't know. Well, it's, yeah, I do think, I mean, a lot of people get into teaching because they have these noble goals and like, I want to, you know, help mold or help help give life to, yeah. to young people and, and help them express themselves and all these things. I also think there's a lot of people who get into teaching because they have a power trip and they're like, mm-hmm. I will have control mm-hmm. over these, you yeah. know, 20 or 30 young people and yeah. I can do as I please and yeah. nobody will supervise Absolutely, me. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And actually uh, what you're saying is um, really interesting because I think that, I, I would say that the majority of the tutors there definitely had a kind of strange power thing going. Mm. I think a lot of it was about the power. Um, mm. And they were <laughs> they were all white men, um, all the tutors. There was one woman who I barely ever saw. Um, and... I would say that the majority of my year were men so that I got introduced to the music industry as just seeing like men everywhere, mm. um, which I thought would be fine. <laughs> but I think that as, as time went on, it, like things started to get quite difficult, I think. And I wasn't aware of it until like a few years later, like how difficult that experience was being like, yeah, one of the few women there in the music world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it it didn't, like, you noticed it at the time, but it didn't quite click with you, like, maybe this is a problem. Yeah, I remember thinking there was a lot of competitive kind of jazz musicians, and I remember, okay. I remember thinking, like, just being really daunted by it, like, I can't play like them, I can't do this, I'm not good enough, I have never done music engineering I can't like work pro tools to that level you know just like a lot of doubts and like a lot of fears creeping in like as assignments came on the pressure came on and I felt like there was a kind of um there wasn't a space to share our doubts and there wasn't a space to be vulnerable in any way like it was a very very harsh environment and I think it being a male-dominated environment with like there being a lot of like toxic masculinity in our society Mm -hmm. I think that was what made me feel really really anxious a lot of the time Mm. obviously not in every environment where there's men it's going to be like that but that was just my experience with it yes so the in this case the, the toxic masculinity was expressing itself in this this hyper competitiveness yeah. and this the I guess masks like everybody had to be, appear tough exactly yeah yeah and that was mm. that was really really hard that was really hard um, yeah but I mean I I definitely um, I learned a lot from that. Yeah, I, I would say that now there are so, if you know, if I could go back in time, there are so many things I would have done differently and things I would have mm. said to the teachers um, mm. and to the students mm. in order to make them more aware of like, of their teaching style and how they're having effect on people's mental health and yeah. Yes. Can you give an example? <laughs> Funny enough, um, the the person I'm talking about, who the tutor I'm talking about, who um, was like the guy from Whiplash, he added me on Instagram a couple of months ago, and I accepted. And <laughs> and I wrote to him, and I was like, "Ha ha! It's funny that you remember me." Like, mm. because, like, I was, like, kind of wink, wink. I was the only woman, like, in the class. <laughs> and he was, like, of course I remember you. And then um, he was, like, how are you? And I was, like, telling him how I was, how I was doing. And then I kind of, okay. I said to him, um, and he was, like, he did mention his message. He was, like, oh, it's funny that you remember me. And then I was, like, <laughs> I said to him, um, you do know that 
your teaching style had a real impact on a lot of people's mental health mm. um Ooh, and i i bar. yeah i i kind of went for it i just like i just said it yes and his reply was actually like much better than i thought it would it was going to be and i think he had obviously done a lot of like his own he had been through his own journal journey and i think that was a, a specific time in his life you know yeah. when he was teaching in that way he was obviously learning the way the ways of teaching and he said that he's definitely got a different kind of teaching approach now and he left lipper and he now works in a different university because of the fact that it was so male dominated there and so kind of harsh the environment was mm. very harsh yeah and he he apologized and he just said like i'm sorry that you had this experience and that yeah it was just like really it was a really lovely message yeah well that, that's great you know yeah. it's sometimes I, I guess we have this impression like well maybe that person will just be that way forever but you know there is a space for people to change yeah and, we're all yeah. kind of fluid in the way that we are yes so what happened with this you said there was a tornado of depression. Is that what you said? <laughs> Do we have to go back to that? No, I'm digging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a fucking tornado. And um, I had loads of fun in it. Um, uh, yeah? No, it was it was really hard. <laughs> it got to a, about, I got into second year of the degree. And... I just thought I was in such a dark place and I just thought, fuck this. And I quit uni um, after like the first term of second year. I broke up with my partner of five years, who I met when I was 14, actually. Um, and I just started I started traveling. I started living on different farms around the UK and then I went to Israel and Palestine and then I went to America and Canada and Burma and India and all these different countries. And, and that was for like the next few years. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was like a very pivotal time. That moment where I quit uni, I was kind of like, screw what everyone wants me to do like screw society i was just like quite like ang <laughs> i think i was just quite angry at the world and angry at like the kind of barriers that are put up in terms of being in the education system like how it's not a safe space to be when it's meant to be a safe space to learn i just was just so angry at it all hmm. you know did you keep that anger with you or what happened to that anger? I think for the next few years of traveling, I think it was, um, it kind of subsided. I wouldn't say it left, but it definitely subsided. Um, and I also wasn't fully aware at the time of where all of the anger was coming from. Um, and now do you know? <laughs> I have more of an idea, yeah. Okay. Um, I think that a lot of the anger was coming from my childhood. It was coming from a feeling of not being heard because of the fact that my um, sister was ill. And I think that that was, that had a huge impact on my kind of, yeah, on my kind of desire to be heard mm -hmm. by the world, by, <laughs> by just be heard, just be understood by anyone really. Yes. So, yeah, going through university and, and uh, everybody putting up their facades and everything. That, yeah. That's like, it's like exactly the opposite exactly. of what you really needed. It was like the ultimate, <laughs> like, fuck you in the face, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I, I think when I went traveling, I felt the most heard that I've ever felt. Um, I was like mm. meeting all these interesting people who thought I was interesting too and just like, you know, being a bit of a hippie <laughs> and like going around and being like, I can live without money and all of that stuff. Um, yeah. And it just felt really empowering. I felt great. And I kind of um, also didn't want to identify myself as a musician. I was just like, I don't want to be a songwriter or a musician. I don't know what I am, but I don't want to be that. 
<laughs> but you were still playing? I was, but not in the way that I am now, which is like a lot more than then. I think I, I was put off music after uni. I, I kind of, uh-huh. I was kind of like, I don't know if I can really play again. I don't even know if I ever want to do music again. Hmm. Um, and that was quite sad. It was quite like a grieving process because I, I started cello at like five. Um, hmm. Yeah, I was playing music for a long time. Well, yeah. I forgot what I, I was talking about. That's all right. <laughs> I, that I, have a, I have a question. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> when you started traveling and you, you said you're meeting all these interesting people and who thought you were interesting. Yeah. Can you think of a specific example when you met somebody and what was, you know, what was special about that interaction? Hmm, so many. I spent a lot of time with my friend Morgan, who I met um, actually in Liverpool, but we ended up traveling together for a little bit through Israel. We were like busking through Israel with a with a guy that we knew from Switzerland, I think. Um, and we ended up like getting quite a lot of money from busking through like Jerusalem and um And then we ended up just like traveling around Israel and like staying with people who we met from hitchhiking. And I think that I learned so much from her um, more than I had really learned from anyone in my life. Um, Mm. Just to be with a woman who I kind of admired so much. She was really into music. She was just very confident. She was very, um, she loved to, to kind of talk about feelings. She was very, very into Brené Brown. <laughs> into who? Brené Brown. The power of vulnerability. Bren- okay. I'm not familiar. Yeah. Ev- Brené every- Brown? Everyone's going to know except Kurt. Um, okay. Yeah, Brené Brown. Oh. Like B-R-E-N-E. And then Brown. Yeah. Okay. She's cool. But yeah, she like we had like, you know, a lot of um, chats about our emotions. And I think that for me was like Mm -hmm. the first time that I'd really like met anyone who was so willing to like hear me and see me and, and to be seen as well, like a real connection, you know, be seen. What what does it mean to be seen? Uh, To be seen is to be able to share my emotions Uh with another and for them to try to understand me and try and hear me with a non, in a non-judgmental way, basically. Mm. And that makes me feel seen. That makes me feel heard. Yes. Um, okay, yeah. 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 I think so coming like, from yeah. like a society where like people don't talk about emotions, I think that I've always been uh, looking for people who do. I think that, that that is something that is quite a pattern in my life. It's that I seek people who really want to talk about things and want to kind of dig deep into that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. I guess that's a, the greater context to your whole story about growing mm. up in Britain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. people in Britain, I mean, Britain's a very sweet people in, in many ways, but it's, a, it's also like, <laughs> I remember <laughs> I was at a, I was at a, I went to a, a concert with our friend Jeremy and uh, they were playing this, uh, this awesome uh, gypsy music. I don't think you were there. And, and the, they, they finished and. Jeremy or one of the band members asked Jeremy's friend what he thought of it. And he said, oh, yeah, it's decent. <laughs> I, I was like, what? <laughs> decent. I said, it was fantastic. It was it was brilliant what you did. Uh, and Jeremy explained to me later, the, the weird thing, I mean, in, in Australia, if you say decent, it's like, yeah, it's adequate. Yeah. In, in Britain, apparently that means it's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was just saying that because he was trying to be polite. Exactly. So we might not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there are all these weird layers of. Uh, I know. <laughs> extra polite. See, that's the thing is that like I don't I don't feel like I was brought up in like a traditional English family, and so like uh-huh. I feel like we have like a different way of communicating with the world, and that was kind of kind of mm-hmm. strange for me, like to to like be at school with all these kind of British kids who well not everyone was british but like you know it was was diverse as well but like Hmm. it 
it did feel as though everyone like a lot of people were very emotionally suppressed um and kind of dimmed down their kind of the way they verbalized what they loved um and i think that's probably why i've got so many friends from different countries and i've had relationships from different countries and i it Uh i think the way a lot of it's about the kind of communication style Mm. do you do you have this expression in the uk the tall poppy gets cut do you say that at all who the tall poppy gets cut I've never heard that, but maybe I'm just completely ignorant to Okay, that's all right. That's what, it's thing. what we say in Australia. Or, you know, I think in Japan they say the the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. It's <laughs> <laughs> like uh, people are afraid to stand out. Yeah. If you, if you stand out, you're going to get attacked. Yeah. Or, or the other expression is uh, like crabs in a bucket. Like a yeah. crab will dra- drag, drag the other crabs back into the bucket. They'll never yeah. escape. But it almost yeah. comes across as like a lack of confidence, I find, in, in Britain. Yes. Um, yes. And I, I actually, my theory is that a lot of um, that lack of confidence and the kind of desire to apologize all the time comes mm. from the shame of colonialism. Mm. That's my theory. It's like a very ingrained thing in our society. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so because it it there is that incongruence there because I've wondered how a, such a polite society could uh, end up being mm-hmm. colonizers and conquerors. We're constantly <laughs> apologizing, and I wonder what for. Mm. Can't think of anything else. <laughs> Maybe it's because we massacred like millions of people. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it could, it could be. It's it's kind of like um, we apologise for the fact that we're not. It's not even in our education system, you know. The col- oh, really? Colonialism, yeah. It's like substituting. S- substituting. How do you mean? So we we say sorry instead of okay. actually instead learning of actually about learning. colonial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. Where were we? Okay. <laughs> That's what I on I ask myself every day. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that was a, a very important part about like Morgan was modeling this behavior like hey, it's okay to be vulnerable, mm. especially for for you at that stage in your life having gone through university where it wasn't okay to do anything like that. Mhm. Yeah. And then after that you opened up and became confident and perfect (laughs) (laughs) and perfect now i'm a real woman (laughs) um no it wasn't like that (laughs) no (laughs) how was it how was it um yeah yeah so i i continued traveling without her for like a couple of years and then Mm. um i went back to uni in leeds that was a real positive thing for me. Like I really enjoyed just like learning. And I think that was also, I think I also felt a lot more confident in my kind of, in how I felt as a person and calling things out when I, I felt were kind of not right. And yeah. And then I got into quite a difficult relationship with someone from Oman Mm-hmm. And I think that's when the kind of the childhood stuff started to come out more. And I think this is quite common in relationships where like your kind of childhood dynamics and what, uh, the things that you adopted from like very early on kind of subconsciously come up. Um, and it, yeah, it was, it was really amazing at first. And then it kind of, yeah, it got a bit tricky and, a lot of it was to do with our cultural differences and the fact that he came from such a patriarchal society um, but was unwilling to kind of talk about it and unwilling to kind of um, acknowledge the things that made me feel uncomfortable. Um, Mm. And that's something that I found really difficult. But I also found it interesting that I was drawn to someone from that part of the world, someone who... It was almost like it was something I wanted at the same time. And I think that that comes from 
seeing a um, mum and dad in that kind of dynamic of my mum being submissive and my dad mm-hmm. being more kind of not submissive. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. So it's almost like, in a sense, you had to play out that drama exactly. to understand exactly. it and get over it. And that's still something yeah. that I battle with a lot now. Um, and I have to really breathe through it and catch my catch myself when I'm when it comes up in different hmm. in different relationships. Um, it it, it hmm. usually comes up in like very like intimate relationships with people where like there's a feeling of losing myself in some way or feeling like I it's hard for me to to separate myself. I feel like. I have to really cling on to my identity as if it's going to be stolen from me in some way. And that's something that is really important to like for me in the future to like work through with that person and to talk to about them and share that that's what's going on for me. Because I think in the past I just kind of reacted to it. Um, and I've kind of like really withdraw withdrew myself because I was like, I need to like cling on to my identity and not, get lost in someone else and not be kind of controlled or I went the opposite way which was a kind of like a ball that was like I need to be in control of more things you know I need to kind of Mm. mark my stamp in order for them to know that I have a voice and that I you know I'm not going to become invisible Mm. even if they weren't trying to make me feel invisible you know yeah I mean, there, I think there, there's a time and place for doing that, but I think that I almost became too boundaried at times and too unboundaried at times, if that makes sense. I think a lot of it was about boundaries and me going on this journey of trying to find out what is a healthy boundary. And like, yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so interesting with that process of, seeking balance and we, we I, I guess we kind of have to make so many mistakes along yeah that. <laughs> absolutely i've made so many so many yeah oh my and, god you know, I can't everyone even... is a lesson yeah <laughs> everyone literally <laughs> i can't believe how many mistakes i've made <laughs> i literally if if you asked me when i was like 20 where do you think you'll be when you're 27 like as in like do you think you would have made all of these sort of mistakes i would be like fuck no Mm-mm. fuck <laughs> no <laughs> well yeah i guess there was a, the optimism of youth i'm gonna do everything perfect <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah literally <laughs> literally where where is the balance how did or how did you find the balance I don't think I'm I'm there yet to be honest. I I think it's an ongoing process. I think it's something that I often have to like just be aware of and breathe through and 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 kind of explore. Um mm. I mean obviously communication is just like so so important, but in order to communicate you have to identify what is going on. So I think that for me, like I'm a huge advocate for therapy and it's something that I just continue to have because without it, I don't even know. Like, I th- I think that I would feel like, like very disassociated from the world. Like, I think it's very easy for my, my reality and my mental health to become quite like, that. Like, yeah, my reality to become quite distorted when I don't know what is going on inside. Mm. Um, okay. It's like a fear-based um response i think okay so it's like having that space to talk things out freely lets you process your emotions yeah and and i think when i identify it there's um i think it kind of it creates stability i think a kind Mm -hmm. of anchor which i feel I I can't really have if I don't know what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. It's okay. like having a lighthouse in the storm. That's a nice image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not an I image. It's a real thing. 
<laughs> you own a lighthouse that's damn right I do. That's my crib. <laughs> Show it to you sometime. <laughs> <laughs> On a rock, three hundred kilometers west of Britain, is a single lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little, a little rock. <laughs> Wouldn't mind that. Don't know how I'm going to get my shopping though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let me let me ask you this: What do you think a balance would look like if you find that perfect balance between having no boundaries and and having too strong boundaries? What what might it look like? Hmm. It's a really good question because I think there's a kind of utopian idea of what balance is and actually it's mm -hmm. different for everyone. So I think um, I don't want to kind of romanticize my idea of mm -hmm. balance. I think that um, it's quite simple, really. It's just a place where you're both able to communicate, even if it's like a difficult communication to have. I think it's like... okay It's a place where you are able to show up when discomfort is there and... Um, say there's a little argument or whatever or or you feel like that person is trying to kind of control you in some way just to kind of show up and, and say that and to be there and I think balance in a partnership I don't think that everyone wants the best for each other all the time I think that's a really unrealistic okay yeah it's quite unrealistic I think I think we go through waves as humans um <laughs> <laughs> okay like one, one group of friends and then and then check them out and no no, what do you, what no. Do <laughs> i think i mean just yeah. in a partnership right oh okay. not not with like everyone i mean just in a partnership i think that um it's hard to sustain that kind of feeling of care and love all the time that's obviously going to be times down the line that you're that things are going to kind of move in different ways and as you're both changing and, and growing and I think that um yeah balance is just a place of communication and trust basically I think that that sounds quite like cliche but yeah to be on the same wavelength with each other and to to understand what's going on you have to communicate yes yes Well, yeah, it makes me think of a few things. I mean, there are these these uh, tropes, I guess, about, say, a man asks a woman, how are you? Like, what's going on with you? And she just says, I'm fine. I'm fine. And on the other side, the uh, the woman asks the, the man, what are you thinking? And he says, nothing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> And those are, I, I think sometimes those are real cultural habits and it, it takes yeah. a presence to work through those and say, you know, what, uh, this is actually what I am thinking. This yeah. is what I am feeling. Absolutely. Yes. It's very true. <laughs> Another thing is about this, uh, this is this professor or lecturer. Uh, he has a YouTube channel. His name is John Viveki. And he said this, this thing, which, uh, open my eyes a little bit he said love is a mode so sometimes i think of love as an emotion which is kind of true like this there's, there's an aspect that that is emotive but it's also like if you're angry at somebody you can still love them uh, mm. which is a you know seems contradictory but love is love is some something more than yeah an emotion absolutely yeah, yeah. i totally agree yeah. with that mm. um i think Yeah, I think everyone kind of loves in different ways um, and shows their love in different ways. And I think that for me, uh, love was shown in a way that I don't want to accept because mm. it wasn't that healthy, both in my, right. in both in a couple of my relationships, but also my family. Um it was very normalized and that's something I, I need to like really spend my, my life unpicking in order to not <laughs> normalize it. Hmm. Yeah. Which aspects of it should not be normalized and which aspects should be? Well, I grew up like in a family who would just like argue a lot and say things to each other, uh -huh. which I think that are just like awful. Um, And I think a lot of it was 
really cruel and that that's and it was dismissive when when we'd shut each other down and and my my dad would you know walk away and slam doors and my mum would just shut down and everyone would just shut down it was just like Mm. really like just so much chaos and I think that when that's not happening in a relationship I almost feel confused I almost feel like this is actually what I'm thinking but this is a very subconscious thing that I've like recently become aware of um but I I feel like maybe I'm not loved by that person if that's not what's happening, you know, mm. maybe because that, because it's so normal to me. Um, and then when I get, ang- when I do get annoyed at something, it comes out in a way that might be less communicative and more of a projection, mm-hmm. which I think that is really important to, to change. And also allowing allowing people to speak to you in certain ways i think that was another thing with like with like coming back to boundaries is that like i've definitely allowed my boundary to be crossed too many times in relationships Mm. um when i say crossed i mean i think you do have to have some kind of limit yes okay (laughs) (laughs) i i was actually like unsure about where i was going with that but yeah I, i think that yeah you just have you have to have some kind of limit somewhere and actually it makes me feel sad to to think about that i do think it makes me feel sad that we all have to have limits <laughs> like why but uh yeah we do yeah yeah that's funny sometimes i think about uh a friend of mine from from my hometown who uh would teach uh children with down syndrome and so 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 sweet these children they would just see see somebody maybe somebody looking sad or looking friendly on the street and they'd be like, I want to go over and hug him. And (laughs) Beck's put in this position where she has to go, well, no, you know, that's not socially appropriate. (laughs) They just want to, they just, you know, so sweet. They just want to show love to the world. Oh, Uh, Oh, imagine living in a boundaryless world. (laughs) So cute and so wrong. I'm just going to go stab that guy in the eye. Why not? (laughs) Right. The other side of self-control. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's, let's have a, let's, uh, let's think about this. What does all, all of these things that you learn, uh, Mm. they, they come into having a voice or learning to use your voice. And how does that come into your music? Wow, it's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> I think every experience I've ever really had has been incorporated into my music. I, I think I often, even with my the intense amount of like therapy I've had throughout my life, I often found it easier to express myself um, with writing songs. Mm-hmm. Um because I I could use metaphors and I never I didn't have to use the word I and talk Mm. mainly about me I could almost think of like you know create a story of someone else and yep but but but, you know it it would be coming from me it's just me turning my confusion into something else um Mm. it's, it's a bit like when children are playing I think they you know they make a den or they or they turn a stick into a wand and I think like a lot of the time they're like enacting experiences in their life which they can't really do in words and I think that's the same for me with music it's like playing Mm. and I think I have quite a I think I have a strong a strong narrative in my in my music Mm -hmm. what's the narrative (laughs) how do you mean (laughs) <laughs> well what's the yeah what's the story that you're telling or what's what is coming out in the music or is it your whole life that, or no it's like little yeah. peaks it's little yeah. sneak peaks and i think it's also like a lot of it is to do with like the relationships that i've had and like little things like the jobs i've done and um mm-hmm. i think that a lot of it has also been to do with my exploration of myself in this world in the society as a woman 
mm-hmm. um, and where where I fit in and and where my voice is and how I can use my voice in my music in order to make statements in order to kind of um, not in a political necessarily political way because I don't think it's my place to be doing that. At least I don't feel like I ha- I am able to yet. But I I definitely think that I express my emotions through music and I feel emotions like very deeply in general. Mm. Yes. Well, yeah, interesting about the political element. Like for for years I would write essays about politics and, and liberty and stuff. But later I, I started to think, well, actually maybe the the most important change is the the emotional stuff. It's it's not to do with, you know, systems or something like that that's a that's secondary to what's going on inside mm-hmm. yeah mm. absolutely yeah i think so i mean i think like in a way you could i you could also say that everything is political yes yeah. um because you are a product of the society and whatever your words are uh, you know they're political mm-hmm. yeah yeah um Yes. Well, yeah, some people say, well, there's power struggles and everything. And that's, that's another way that things are political. Yeah. But I think that's just kind of a bleak way of looking at the world. Yeah. Mm. I think, I think a lot of my music is actually about like my exploration, not only as a woman, but my, the kind of ex- experience of womanhood of like going through being a girl to being a woman to like, mm. and, and, and learning about boundaries, I think a lot of it is the kind of push and pull of it all, and the, the kind of um, there is a kind of um, resisting um, institutions, and mm-hmm. yeah, and wanting to kind of speak out more. Mm. But not in an like invasive way, in a in a more kind of gentle way that that pulls people in in a more magnetic way. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, I can't really imagine myself getting a, a huge uh, what do you call it, a megaphone and just like <laughs> through it and being like, "Yo, dickheads!" Like, <laughs> I have a voice, yo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's not about that then. (laughs) No. All right, here's here's a question for you. If you could give yourself, uh, give yourself as a, say, a a 20-year-old woman, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, my God, that's so hard. Yeah. That's what she said. (laughs) No, she didn't. (laughs) Call yourself a feminist. <laughs> oh, come on. Feminists do whatever the fuck they want. That's the being a feminist. Go listen to The Guilty Feminist. They're, they're amazing. Um, hmm. What would I tell myself? I would tell myself to be patient hmm. with myself. Right. I'd probably tell myself that you are going to make shitloads of mistakes just so I'm prepared for the mistakes uh-huh. that I make. Right. Um, I think that I would, um, you know, I was going to say something, but then I decided not to say it. And I wonder if I should tell you. you I was say going, it tell, me, tell me later. Or, or, I was going <laughs> to say that I yeah. I would tell myself to not get into any kind of serious relationship. I think, but actually oh, I've really? learned so much from, I've learned so much from them. So actually I don't think I would tell myself that, but it, it uh-huh. was just such a like difficult experience for me. It wasn't one that, I mean, obviously there were like moments of, of great joy, but I think that a lot of it was just like really challenging. Um, yeah. And, but that's part of my, my own learning experience. Um, I would tell myself that, you don't have to shout in order to be heard. Wow. <laughs> that is, that is deep. cool. That's very cool. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, can you tell us uh, do you want to promote your music do, do you want to tell us about no no I will I will I will <laughs> so you can find me yeah. at do you know Kurt band camp <laughs> you can oh. find me at Flopa oh. then ah. on Bandcamp <laughs> and Spotify yep. and iTunes um and SoundCloud, if you just type in flow.perlin. And your GoFundMe for your new album is still going, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got a cr I'm crowdfunding at the moment. Um, I've actually just recorded my album, but I'm still crowdfunding for everything else sure. that I need in order to release it. Yeah. Cool. Like cover art and marketing and... Exactly. Distribution, mastering, um, uh -huh. album artwork. That was another thing, but I forgot what it is now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Business cramp. <laughs> yes, right. that's well, open. I'll put a link in the description to the uh, yeah to the GoFundMe and to Bandcamp and everything. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Cool. <laughs> well, it's what been do you lovely. want to tell us about about the new album? What is I mean, I guess you've Oof. already said so much. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the album is called Characters um, and oh. it's a full band. So it's um, three string players, cool. um, cellist, viola, violinist. It's got a double bassist, an electric bassist, a drummer, um, a saxophone player, a pianist, <laughs> a guitar player, and then there's me. What? Um, <laughs> and you're, you're singing and on guitar or yeah exactly yeah. so yeah i am a guitar player um yeah so it was quite a big project and the album is like a personal it's a very personal album it, it's almost like a journal but it's um hmm. it's about my experience uh going through psychoanalysis hmm. um Uh, which I've been having for the last um, seven months, I think. Cool. Um, and I guess the word characters is kind of representation of not only the, like the characters in my life, like my friends and my family and and everyone I know, but also like the internal, like the, the parts of myself that I'm getting to know. Mm. Some of them I'm like, I thought I knew you. And that, <sighs> and that character's like, nope, you didn't. <laughs> but yeah like as the album goes on you can kind of hear it like evolving okay cool and we look forward to hearing it i look forward to sharing i'm really excited <laughs> okay thanks flo thank you a beautiful thought thanks for listening so it's interesting flo came up with that topic of boundaries especially boundaries in personal relationships and that does seem to be a theme that is coming up with a lot of people m mentioning that to me like people are saying to me say with a with their ex-partner they keep trying to get things or even though it's a, even though they're they're separated and no longer together this this person keeps trying to change things just a little bit or get a little more <laughs> out of the situation something like that but isn't it interesting when you draw a boundary and you say no clearly as Flo said you don't have to be you don't have to shout to be heard but when you say no like Eckhart Tolle says with presence make it a high quality no Clearly, meditatively, no, I will not do that. That is not going to happen. And I like to say, when you draw a boundary, the whole world knows. Things change. Because you have decided that this is not something that you're going to accept. That is your line. And people are going to have to work around that. You put up a wall, but not the kind of wall that boxes you in. The kind of wall that helps you build 
more. The kind of wall that helps you build a home, that helps you build a safe space, a hearth, a warm fire, (laughs) to enjoy your own company. Yes, it's nice to say no. (laughs) Thanks for coming along. Remember to check out Flo's music. I think a lot of you are going to really like it. It's, it's kind of interesting if you let yourself be swept up in it. You might feel some of this tender sadness and other things that, that come out, this human experiences that you can feel in Flo's music. So check that out on, on Bandcamp or just Google Flo Poland, F-L-O. P-E-R-L-I-N. Thanks and have a wonderful day. Oh, 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 oh,